Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sifronis. Welcome to the Hater Voice Podcast. This episode is titled Escaping. This is a story about a young brave woman who tried to escape away from the Burmese while she was pregnant. The story starts when two people fall in love and got married and have two children after that. And those two children are my older sister. This is a story about my mom. My mom had been living in Burma, today known as Myanmar, her whole life with the people she loved. My uncle... We just listened to the introduction of episode three of the Hidden Voices podcast. The Hidden Voices podcast was conceived by a high school teacher named James Hausworth. James used podcasts as a way to help his EL students with not only language, but also cultural sensitivity. We speak with James today about why he decided to use podcasts as a way to help his students learn English and also reconnect with their cultures. While we do talk a lot about podcasts as a vehicle for approaching this project, James really gets into some important pieces of what it means to be an EL educator. He talks about the importance of language acquisition, but also the importance of maintaining home culture, even when students at times aren't really interested in reconnecting with their own cultures. James also, I think, uh, can put a lot of people's minds at ease when it comes to trying new things in the classroom, particularly with technology. He is a young teacher, but uh, is a self-professed um, non-expert in technology, let's say, but he clearly leveraged this tool, these podcasts, to really do an incredible um, bit of work with his students. As always, we'd love to hear what you think about the episode. You can use the voice record feature on Anchor to leave us a message that we will listen to uh, about the episode or any feedback that you have. And of course, you can also comment on our blog. Let's get started. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Good morning, James. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Morning, Steve. How are you? Doing great, thanks. I'm excited to uh, to finally have a chance to speak with you about uh, what you're doing with podcasts and your English language learners. So you and I have something in common in terms of both of us have this this podcast. Uh, yours is a little different than mine. You do it with your students, and I do it about uh, teaching and learning and policy here about English language learners. And this all came about because one of my colleagues sent me uh, your podcast on SoundCloud. I immersed myself in it. I dug into it. I listened to a bunch of episodes about these kids telling these amazing stories. Um, and I was really excited about it. And one of the first things that I thought of and that, that I'm going to ask you right now is, is how did you come up with this idea to use this medium to have your students tell their stories uh, via podcasts? Good question. You know, honestly, I just really like podcasts. I got into them a couple of years ago when I was uh, driving an hour to and from grad school every day and needed a way to de-stress from student teaching and all that. So I just 
listen to This American Life and other big podcasts. And I, I just started thinking together with the, pro, the master's program I was doing at the time, you know, this would be an amazing speaking assignment. The students would have to speak for a long, long time uninterrupted and be able to tell lots of cool stories. You know, I'm going to keep this in the back of my head. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something like this someday. That, that was really it. And then I kind of held on to that idea for a while. And once I got a teaching job, I decided to finally try it out. That's great. And I think like I've, I was a teacher myself for, for many years. And I think some of your best ideas as a teacher come kind of spontaneous like that. And then, like you said, you kind of hang on to it and then you actually go about doing it. And, you know, what I've found is it's not extremely difficult technically to put these podcasts together. And I think it's just a great idea to get these students involved. And I, I take something out of your your um, response as well, which is like, I just got into podcasts a couple of years ago myself. And then we thought, hey, why don't we why don't we try one? So a um, little something in common there. So the title, uh, Hidden Voices, I love it. I, I think it really speaks to the fact that many of these students have these incredible stories to tell, but for a variety of reasons, they don't necessarily have a platform to tell them. There's a language barrier, maybe there's a tech barrier, maybe there's just nobody who's who's really listening aside from their teachers and their families. So what do you see as the best possible outcome of this product in terms of kids getting their stories told? That's a good question. You know, I think, I think in, our, in our, our setting at the high school that I teach at, a great outcome would be that the teachers are able to listen to the stories and realize that the EL students in the school have stories to tell and that they have a lot to offer to the school. I think a lot of schools view EL students as, as kind of a burden, uh, maybe, maybe not um, explicitly, but maybe implicitly think that like, oh man, we need to devote all these resources and all of this time and co-teaching and all, all these things to these students. Wouldn't it just be easier if everyone spoke English perfectly? But no, like these students have a lot of really incredible things to offer, both with their stories and their experiences that the school would never have if it didn't have any EL students. So I would love for the teachers, the staff, maybe even other fellow students in the school who aren't English learners to be able to listen to these stories and know that this project is going on and be able to really accept and appreciate the fact that those students are at the school. That would, that would be my, my dream. I mean, obviously there are bigger possibilities that other schools could listen to it. Or, um, I mean, you've found this podcast from another state and that, that's really cool. <laughs> um, but really just within my local context, that would, that would be the dream. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, you're speaking to a really important piece, which is kind of the assets that these students bring to schools. And it seems that whomever I speak with, I mean, I, I've, this is now, I mean, I've recorded, I think 15, I'd say 18, maybe episodes of this. And this always comes up how these students are assets. Um, but it's like the title says that their voices are frequently hidden. So I think that that's a great goal to have just to be able to provide uh, maybe a little empathy for those teachers who who do sort of look at, and I, I understand what you're saying, and it's it's hard to say it and to um, and to to vocalize that there are some teachers who just really have a hard time with the concept that they are also uh, teachers of language. Um, but when we can hear the stories and the great experiences that these students bring to our schools, I think it helps a lot. And I, I give you a lot of credit for giving the the students the platform. Um, to do that. And, you know, one of the reasons that we were excited to chat with was to get this story out uh, to the best of our ability as well. So clearly that there's a lot of benefits. You just spoke about some um, to giving these these students this type of experience. But I want to break it down a little bit. Um, it, the first thing that a lot of people think about when they think about English language learners is they have to learn the language. You just kind of talked about that, that burden piece. 
what do you think the um the the main advantage of podcasts as an instructional tool are for teaching students language? Where does the the language learning come into play in this kind of lesson? I think the main advantage in any kind of podcast you record is that you have to record your own interrupted uninterrupted speech for three to five minutes or 10 minutes or however long your podcast episode is. Now there are lots of different kinds of podcast episodes. There's like a nonfiction educational type of podcast like this. There's a storytelling types of podcasts like this American life. Like I kind of try to model mine after and all of those different kinds of genres have different kinds of language that are, that is required to be able to do them. I kind of chose the storytelling approach, one, because it's probably the easiest approach to start with, but also because um, it, it's able to work in some of those past tense, past perfect tenses, and, and some of those specific language types of things. But beyond all of the specifics, just having to speak uninterrupted in a continuous manner that's going to be listened to for three to five minutes, I rarely get an opportunity for students to produce language that much in, in one at one time yeah and that's you're speaking to my uh to my foreign language teacher experience i taught spanish uh for as a foreign language for quite a quite some time and you know one of the courses i taught was the ap spanish language course and in that course the students or on that exam i should say the students need to actually speak for two minutes uh very awkwardly into a computer much like i imagine these students need to as well and while it seems awkward and kind of unnatural that as you mentioned that uninterrupted speech really, really um, give students an opportunity. And I would say like an opportunity to be by themselves and not worry so much about making mistakes to kind of tweak language patterns um, and grammatical concepts as necessary. And, you know, you mentioned something that I attempted to do with varying levels of success, I think, which is to incorporate various uh, grammatical points um, in context, which I think is so much more powerful than saying, hey, today we're going to study the preterite and the imperfect. You know what I mean? You're, you're dialing it into these stories. Yeah, I, I, I think I met, it was met with mixed success with me as well, um, which is in some ways okay for me. It's a, it's a meaning-focused activity. And basically what ended up happening was I tried to encourage students to use the correct form of the tenses, but once they got into telling their story, sometimes the, the incorrect forms slipped in. But to me, it was more important that they got a lot of fluency and felt comfortable telling their story. And then, then they could go back and revise and do things like that. But um, I'd say some students it sunk in a little more than others, but it, it was still there. That piece was still a part of it. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think we may be getting to my next question, which is you're talking about the, just the benefit of the students telling their stories when they get into that kind of flow state and they're making mistakes, but they're like into the story they're telling. That, that piece is also important. I mean, like from the outside looking in, people say, all right, well, language is the key. Like we have to make sure that these students get the language as soon as possible. But, but from a cultural responsiveness perspective, um, you know, we have to find ways, and there's research out there that shows if the students can bring in their own language and their own culture, they actually learn um, English faster and they're more successful um, in the long run. So what I want to do now is, and this is the first time we've done this on High Aspiration, so I'm, Highest Aspiration, so I'm pretty excited about it. We're going to actually play uh, a clip of one of the podcast episodes that one of your students did. Um, it's called Journey to the West. And James, do you want to like preface it in any way and talk a little bit about what this episode is? Because we'll play a little bit of it and then I'll have you respond to a question. Yeah, I'll just preface it a little bit by saying that um, this is a 
a student at a an EL student at my high school. And this is a story of how he and his brother and his family had to go from Nepal to the United States and some different, some different reasons for that. So that, that's kind of all I'll preface it with. Okay. And we'll play the intro to that episode. And I'll, at the end, I'll, uh, I'll tell everybody where they can find all this. We'll make sure that we um, put the podcast and all of your resources up so people can find it. But let's go ahead and play this um, beginning part. We'll listen to about the first 30 seconds. Welcome to Hidden Voices. This is a story about my parents, about how they moved from Bhutan to Nepal and from Nepal to the U.S. I call this story a journey to the West. I wanted to get a little of that music in as well because I think that's an important piece of it. Um, but but it, at first, at first, listen, we hear the student speaking English, and that's great. But then we're, we're, we're being introduced to a story that that student is about to tell. So what's your take on the on the cultural piece of this and the value of these students actually telling their stories, taking the language completely out of the equation? I think it's incredibly valuable for lots of reasons. I think, like you had mentioned, student engagement is a big reason, right, for a student to be engaged in learning the language, they need to be doing things that are meaningful to them, doing things that help them feel like they're a part of the classroom, to feel like who they are is welcomed in the classroom and at the school. But I think in a bigger way, um, I think many schools try to be culturally responsive and try to understand the cultures of the students that are there. But a downfall in that sometimes is that students can get put in these cultural groups like, okay, here are the Nepali kids, here's the Nepali story. Okay, those are the Somali kids, here's the Somali story. Those are the Latino kids, here's the Latino story. And, but within all of those cultures and within all the reasons why an EL student might be in your classroom, every student has such a different story. I have many Nepali students in my classes, but this student's story that you were right about to hear is so different than all the other stories. And for him to be able to offer that up to me and to the class helps me helps me be able to understand him better. It helps me appreciate him as a person as well as his cultural background. And I think he feels appreciated and he feels ex uh, more accepted and more known and therefore more willing to engage at school and engage in, in the school culture and help shape the school culture because of that. That's a great way to, to respond to that. And I think you've hit on a couple really key um, important issues that we've that we've hit on before, but what you said at the end is like that idea of he can be a part of the school and shape what the school looks like with his story is is just a great gift that you're you know you're giving to that student, and therefore that student is able to give that gift back to the school community because we we talk about yells right like we focus on our English language learners, but so many other people are benefiting from hearing these stories if we allow the stories to be told. And I think, you know, this sample is a great example um, of, of the episodes that students have created about their families and their journeys. So I get a follow-up question there is, you know, have episodes like this given you or your students or their families even uh, a new appreciation for the experiences that the families have endured? I mean, clearly it has done so for you, but has that, has that transcended to other students in the school or even the families of the students that are actually telling the stories? You know, that was actually one of my main goals in creating the project. When I was trying to decide 
what type of podcast they should do and who they should interview and things like that. I, I decided to make it a requirement with few exceptions that they have to talk to an older family member. And the reason I did that is because um, I teach a lot of advanced EL classes as well as beginner ones. This, this podcast we just listened to was in my advanced EL class. And I, I've noticed a lot of cultural divides between the students in that class and their parents. There's a lot of conflict between inside of the students between what does it mean for me to be part of a home culture? Maybe I grew up in a refugee camp or in another country, but now I'm here in the United States and I want to be in America and I want to fit in. What does that mean for my identity? Who am I? And, and unfortunately that can sometimes translate into rejecting their first culture, rejecting their parents' culture to say, no, I'm American. I don't care about your culture. Stop trying to force me to do all these traditional things. And, and I noticed that a lot and that's led to a lot of conflicts. And so one of my goals was for students to be able to re, maybe relive or hear some of these stories for the first time. A lot of them were pretty young when they moved to the United States. And so to be able to see all of that their family members have experienced and, and in many cases, all that they've sacrificed to be able to bring them to the United States. I hope that they would get a greater appreciation for that. I'd say the success rate of that is maybe 50% if, I, uh, if I'm being optimistic. I think many students were frustrated, actually frustrated with me that, why are you forcing me to talk to my family? I don't want to talk to them. Whereas others, after they did the project, they, they did come up to me and say, you know what? It was really cool to be able to talk to my mom. I've never talked to my mom like that. Or it was really cool to talk to my uncle about his experience in the refugee camp. And so I'm hoping that can go up from 50%, but that is one of my goals of the project. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I have to say, I mean, I, I again, like I, I was a teacher for a while and sometimes you don't hear back. Sometimes you never hear back from students most of the time about the experiences they had, but sometimes it's like five or six or even 10 years later you hear from a student. I mean, this happens to me and I, I haven't, I don't think done anything as powerful as what you're doing with these students. And they say to you, like, well, that was an incredible experience doing that podcast about my family. Like, thank you for that. Um, and you're like, didn't you hate that when we were doing it? <laughs> Weren't you the kid who was like complaining about it the entire time? So I think you, know, you might be selling yourself short a little bit by that 50% success rate because right now, of course, there's going to be students and these are adolescents, you know, um, who, who are frustrated by it. But I think in the end, they will certainly um, value it. And I think you know, the other thing that you were mentioning is they sort of, in, in many cases, kind of um, don't really, uh, these stories don't really resonate with them from their parents. They want to separate from their parents. Like that's a generational thing that's been going on for years, whether you're um, a new immigrant or somebody who's, you know, been living in the United States for, you know, five generations. It's that kind of like generational divide. Um, so I think that's that's pretty typical. And the last thing I'll say about that is, like you're 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 getting at something that's so important, and that's that's the family engagement piece, maybe indirectly, but you're getting students to engage with their families through a different um, through a different medium there. So I want to I want to talk a little to shift gears a little bit. Um, one one episode that we did recently here on Highest Aspirations was about project based learning. Um, it was Donna Neary who joined us from Jefferson County uh, and in Kentucky, and she. Um, you can listen to the episode, but basically she had a group of, of students who were in danger of not graduating in on time. They were going to age out. So she created this, this project-based learning situation where these students were basically accelerated um, their, their time to graduate. 
And I think I bring that up because I think, you know, you're, this is definitely a project based learning experience in some, in some ways. I'm curious. Um, and, and, and I'll say that they can be really highly effective for, for English language learners. So what elements of this project of the podcast project do you think most benefited your students in terms of that, like project-based nature? And, and what are the challenges? So what are the, what were the, the, the high points and what were some of the challenges that you experienced while, while going through it? I'd say one of the biggest benefits of project-based learning in general is that in the real world, projects are what you do. <laughs> projects are how you become an effective employee. Those are the things you do. You're given a task. You're not always told exactly how to do that task. And you need to be able to organize your time, organize your resources, organize the people connected to you to be able to accomplish that task. And therein lies the greatest benefit and the biggest challenge of a project-based learning type of activity and, and this is no exception so um students had a, a lot of time to do this project because it was very big and the biggest challenge was breaking it down into manageable steps for them so it didn't feel really overwhelming um, i did my best to break it down for them but some of them still kind of got lost in the process they still felt so intimidated by the size of it that it was hard for them to even begin and um I'm still kind of brainstorming some ways to, to help out with that. I, I'll maybe go into this further later, but I think a, a change I'm going to make is um, building in some other project-based learning activities before we get to this one so that, that are a little bit smaller so that students are used to being, being able to do things in manageable steps and taking a large task and breaking it into smaller parts so that when we get to a big, big project, they already have some experience with it. They don't get so intimidated by it that they, that they just don't do it, but they are able to take some of those skills and apply them to a, a bigger setting. And I think presenting it in that way too would, would be helpful for them that, hey, you're, you're gonna need to be able to do this in your real life, no matter what kind of employee you are, you're gonna have to be able to, to, to use that skill. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the biggest ben benefits of a project. Yeah, well said, that's a good point. I mean, you know, I think one of the challenges we face as teachers who want to incorporate these kinds of projects in kind of traditional educational settings is that many students, whether they're ELLs or not, are sort of used to that regimented um, kind of, uh, you know, get and give situation where they're given very discrete tasks and they have very sort of measurable expected outcomes. Whereas this is a lot more messy and I would completely agree with you that it is more real. Um, but that it becomes that balance between how much structure do you provide while still allowing the students to have the agency to tell these stories that you want to get out of them. And you have to coax them because they're, you know, they're young people and you have to um, provide them with just enough motivation to, uh, to, to, to come up with, with what they need for themselves. And I think, you know, based on the product that, that, that we see on the, on the outside, um, you know, you've managed to do that. The other thing, and this has to do with project-based learning as well. Like oftentimes, um, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. Like I, I would do projects in my classes that were related to foreign language and my students would do these pretty incredible things sometimes. But then uh, where I kind of felt like I failed was I, I didn't take those things and spread them to a wider audience. And I think that's even more important with what you're doing in terms of telling, we've talked about this earlier, telling the stories of these students. So I'm curious, um, that, that challenging piece of getting these stories out, 
Have you found that these podcast episodes have helped bridge the gap and amplify these kids' voices in, in the school community? Has that happened yet? Or is that something that you're still trying to do or that you hope to do in the future? I'm curious about that. You know, I, I think that the process has started. I, I was excited to, about the feedback I got when we first did the podcast two years ago. It was the first all staff email I ever sent out. I double checked all the grammar like 50 times because I was so nervous about sending an email to the whole school. But I got a lot of really positive responses and I had lots of teachers that I never even met or teachers that I didn't expect to be into this kind of thing um, re replying and saying, hey, can you, can you give me the list of student names? I think that was my student that I had in there and I had no idea that they had gone through that or just teachers listening to the podcast every day to and from school. And it, it was cool to see at least a little bit of that, um, little bit of that whole school involvement uh, beginning. Uh, I, I would like to see more of it though. I would like to see more teachers be able to hear the stories of their, of their EL students and be able to see, to see the things that they've gone through. Um, and there's been a little bit of interest Outside of the school, there's been a little bit of, um, I guess we'd call it listenership of, of people outside of the school, but it would be, would be interesting and, and I think beneficial for the word to get out a little bit more that way. Yeah, well, certainly trying to do our part here about that because I think, you know, and you're right, like you, you, you talked about the school and it's great. And, I, and by the way, I totally get, I still do that when I send emails out to either the school or my company, you have to like check everything's that just letting you know that that doesn't go away probably um but good for you for checking it because it's not fun to see a typo in those um but you know getting that story out to the school i think is the beginning and then getting it out later um to to, to other places is great and like you said earlier i mean i didn't i wasn't even the one who found this and i'm constantly looking for this stuff just a colleague of mine said hey have you seen this so clearly it's starting to get out there and, and we'll do our part to spread the word as well and with that, I want to, I want to ask you about, um, like maybe there's other teachers out there or somebody who's listening to this that says, man, I, I want to do something like this. Like this, this is a, a cool way to, um, help my, my ELs not only learn the language, but also, um, really reconnect with their cultures. So what lessons have you learned that you would, um, give to other teachers if they're about to start this kind of project? I think there are a couple little lessons that will help. I think the first lesson is don't be afraid. <laughs> it's not it's not that hard. Because I'm a younger teacher, a lot of people at my school view me as like some sort of tech guru. Like I must just know everything about technology because I'm a millennial. Um, truly, truly, I don't. <laughs> my my wife actually gets the biggest kick out of that because I I don't really know that much about tech at all. Um, but the the difference now is that. It, it, um, different apps and different websites make it very easy for you to be able to accomplish things like this. So if you want to make a podcast, it's actually not that hard. I, I was very surprised by how easy it was to be able to record, edit, and upload and publish all of the files. And so um, don't just, that would be lesson one. Don't be too intimidated to try it because you'll be surprised by how easy it is. Um, I think lesson number two would be take baby steps, one for yourself and two for your students. The first year I did it, I didn't do very much podcast, do very many podcast related things throughout the year. Right at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this project. I'm not going to chicken out. I'm going to try it. <laughs> and then I just gave the whole podcast project to them. And a lot of them 
really got into it, but, all, but some of them were a little intimidated and were like, I don't even know what a podcast is and I have to make one in the next couple of weeks. And so um, easing them into it, just giving them some baby steps of, you know, just start by listening to a couple or show them what, the, what they are and show them the diff- thousands of different podcasts that they might be interested in. And then maybe doing it some smaller recordings, like maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and um, just easing them into what, it, uh, what a podcast is and what's expected of one, I think will go a long way. And, and that goes for yourself too. Um, you don't have to start with fully published on iTunes podcasts for all of your classes. You can start with, hey, let's tell a 30 second story in class and record yourself and upgrade it. You can start with something really small and, and for yourself, use your way in as well. Uh, lots of other lessons too, but I'd say those are, the, those are the biggest two. Don't be too intimidated to try it and take baby steps. Yeah, and that's good advice. I think as you approach um, anything, particularly if it involves uh, uh, technology and and I I, I hear you. I was um, I'm I'm a little older than you now, but I I, I started teaching very young, um, and I was looked upon as some kind of uh, tech guru in the school. And also, I think like when you are taking risks like this and doing different things, people think that it's because you have some kind of technical knowledge. When really, I think it's just you're not averse to taking a risk once in a while and to trying something new, which I think. Uh, is an, is a really important lesson, and I agree with you. There's a lot of um, stuff out there to create podcasts. I mean, I, I that when we came up with this concept here at Elevation, let's do a podcast. The easiest part was all the topics and all the people that I could chat with. That was easy. the The, the part that was that had me daunted for a while was, well, how am I going to actually record the thing? And a quick look, and it's like you have these tools that just make it so easy. And I'll, I'll put a plug in, and I'm not in any way associated with this company, but Anchor. Um, I don't know if you've if you've come across that, James, but Anchor is a really powerful tool that you can. I mean, it's the simplest thing to use um, for podcasts. So, uh, so I put a plug in for that. That's made certainly made my life um, very easy. And so that's a good transition to ask you um, if there are, I'm curious if, if you have a, a book or other resource that you'd recommend, not only for podcasting this specific thing, but maybe that has had um, an influence on you, either personally, professionally, that you'd like to share with the audience. It's a question we always like to ask, and it's always a question that, that people have difficulty with because either they don't have one in their mind or they have like 50 of them. But I'm going gonna, gonna to put you in the spot anyway and ask you for that. This is like the most difficult question you could ever ask me. Um, I'd say, here's my, here's my stilted answer. Um, professionally, I don't think I have a book that has shaped my teaching. I think my desire to be a teacher and my desire to hopefully have an impact on the lives of younger people and immigrants and refugees, I think all of that has come from other people, other people in my life who've really impacted me especially older teachers and mentors I had in junior high and high school who really went out of their way to show me that I was cared about, to show me that I had purpose here on this world and that I could be a leader and that I could impact people with my life. Um, that has been way more influential than any um, book or professional development or any, any professional resource I've had um, on my teaching. Personally, this is a question that changes probably every couple months. I, I wouldn't say I'm a big, big reader, but I really love to read. Um, I'd say the most recent book that has impacted me a lot. Okay, I have to pick two. <laughs> I read Silas Marner in January. 
And that has impacted a lot of the way I've been thinking about um, adoption and foster care. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something a lot of people are really scared of. But uh, a key part of that story is that there's a person who is not not who you would choose to be an adoptive parent or someone who would be well fit for foster care, but someone who, despite himself, does an amazing job at it. And then another book that's impacted me is, uh, I actually never read The Starlet Letter in high school. I was an English major and I'm an English teacher, ESL teacher, but I never actually read that, so I feel like I should read it. So I read it and that's had an impact on me personally too, just the way that, um, what it means to live in freedom and what it means to live in guilt and shame and how that book totally flips those ideas on their head has been a really cool thing for me to think about for myself. So I'd say for the time being, those two are having a big impact in my life. So most people will give like a book, you know, that's shaped their ELL teaching or that's pedagogical. And I think that's all great and wonderful, but you're the first one who's actually mentioned a couple books that have affected you personally. And I really appreciate that. I think that's a part of the question that maybe I don't, um, I don't prep people enough for, but I'm glad you mentioned that. And I will say that the Scarlet Letter is a book that I remember reading in high school at some point and being like, I just, I wasn't ready. Like I didn't get it. And then I read it again. I mean, years ago, but I was older and, and wiser and more mature and same thing. Like what a great story and how many books are there like that, that, you know, you kind of come across later, um, that you read maybe in high school or even earlier and just had this have this profound effect. So I'm glad you mentioned those two. Yeah, maybe it's better that I waited. Yeah, it might be. It might be. Absolutely. So last question, how can people find out more about what you're doing, about your podcast, or about like doing this in their classes in general? Well, if you, uh, this will be the shameless plug for myself. Um, <laughs> you can go to the link to SoundCloud for the Hidden Voices podcast, just to hear some examples. If you are an EL teacher, it's really easy to just go on the website and play an episode for your classes. It, um, even if you never record a single episode yourself or you never have your students record an episode, it's, I still think, a really rewarding experience for your students to be able to hear other EL students tell valuable and important stories. And um, you can talk about them, do activities with them. Um, that'd be my first suggestion. Just get your feet wet, listen into some, some episodes with your students. Um, if you want to find out more about how to actually make a podcast and upload it to a website and publish it and all of those things, I don't have any one resource that's a, a catch-all for here's how you do all of those things, but um, SoundCloud has some really easy tutorials for how to upload things on there and how to publish it. Um, as far as how to create an episode i don't know if i don't know of any resource that walks walks you through step by step here's how you make an episode um so i'll have to table that one i'll, I'll see if i can locate something at some point but i, I just kind of made it up myself <laughs> so yeah that sounds familiar i think that's where the creative license piece comes together like once you have the structure of what you're going to use then you just have to have to give it a go and i would you know i would i would agree with you that it's kind of um you know, there are, there are tools out there for sure, but I think the beauty of it is it can really be about anything. And I love it um, that you mentioned your, the SoundCloud site, and we'll, we'll put a link to that on the, on the show notes. And um, I think it's also extremely valuable for people to listen to these stories, even if they don't do it themselves, just a great resource to have so that people um, who teach ELs and people who don't can, can give their students the experience and give themselves the experience of hearing um, these amazing stories. 
I wanted to add as well as um, what, I, what I did is in, during second trimester, I had students write personal narratives. And that's just your really traditional conflict climax resolution kind of uh, story arc. And then when we did the podcast the next trimester, I just recycled the same material. I said, hey, you remember this conflict climax resolution thing? You're just going to do the same thing, but you're going to use your voice instead. And so being able to take those ideas and then use them again um, with oral speech was a really helpful uh, repetition for them. So whether you do a story or a nonfiction podcast or whatever you do, I, that would be a suggestion I would, I would give to um, do a written assignment using the same format first so that when you switch to an oral assignment, the, the format isn't unfamiliar to them. I just wanted to add that in there. Yeah, I'm glad you did. That's a really good point for a variety of reasons. One, you're kind of, you have a through line throughout the year and you're spiraling content. Two, you're giving a chance to use, for students to use the same vocabulary in the same context, but in different, in writing and in speaking, which is just going to help with language acquisition. And there's a bunch more reasons why that's a great idea. So I'm really um, glad you mentioned that. So thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate um, you giving us uh, the story of how this started, giving us some tips on how people can, can, can use this kind of activity. Um, and, and really thanks again for, for all you're doing with your students. I think the risks that you've taken uh, have paid off. And um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to continuing to, to hear what comes out as we get into the next school year. Thanks so much, Steve. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.